Hello again, everyone, and welcome to The Crusher. I'm your host, Josh Brewster, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by Mark Tapson, uh, a guy I've, I've known his work for many years for the David Horowitz Freedom Center, and he does a podcast there called The Right Take. You can also find his writings there. And uh, Mark, uh, just, uh, Mark just fled California, so uh, I want to say good morning to Mark, and Mark, how you doing? Good so far, Josh. How are you? Good, good. So, uh, well, let's start with fleeing California, and why didn't you throw me in the trunk of your car on the way out? <laughs> there was no room in my car, believe me. I had my entire family, which means uh, my wife and I and five kids, and uh, that the car was pretty well packed. Uh, and uh, yes, we fled California a couple of months ago. I live now just outside Dallas, and... Uh, I just left for the same reasons that hundreds of thousands of other people have been fleeing California over the last few years, because it's become a failed state like Venezuela, you know, or <laughs> someplace like that. It's, uh, it's, it's a place that should be paradise, but so many years of Democrat rule have literally uh, turned it into just a third world hellhole, I'll say. Uh, it's yep. become really bad there. Well, it certainly has. So that uh, that dovetails into my first topic with you, which is, you know, I, I wish it was a mainstream democratic uh, situation because it's not. It's uh, it, it's it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. The left is parading around calling themselves Democrats, and I, I don't know. I'll probably be fifty years into the grave. I think, Mark, by the time people really realize that uh, it's not Democrats versus Republicans, it's the left has sucked us uh, into an abyss uh, of no debate, of, of hardcore leftism. Uh, I, I firmly believe this. Uh, why, why don't we start at this point? Because I think that this weekend's topic, one of its top issues might help us illuminate this. Uh, the Department of Justice put out a, a statement that they're not going to prosecute Joe Biden for these these documents that he had in his garage, which probably every president's ever had, going back to George Washington. Uh, Trump will be thrown in jail for this. Biden is too decrepit and incapacitated to be charged. So he's dealing with that, and they're, they want to put their, in very Sovietsky style, they want to put their rival into prison rather than beat him at the ballot box. So uh, let's, let's have you start right there, and why don't you have at it and take your time? <laughs> well, that, that is a lot to unpack there. But uh, to begin with, you're right uh, about the Democrats being a, a party of the far left. I used to be a Democrat uh, many years ago, but I was not a political person at all. I did not care about politics. I was not interested in politics. I uh, was interested only in the arts and music and academia and things like that, all of these kind of high-flown uh, intellectual and artistic pursuits. I did not care about politics. Um, but I definitely considered myself a Democrat, and I was in a completely uh, left-wing bubble. I mean, I, I lived in San Francisco. I was involved in the arts and academia. I mean, you just can't get more <laughs> uh, more of a left-wing bubble than that. And I lived that way for a long time. I did not know any Republicans um, <clears throat> until fairly late in my life. Uh, uh, when I had my political awakening and uh, epiphany and realized that, uh, hey, the party that 
I belonged to, that I considered classical liberals like myself, was actually far left. And conservatives were actually the classical liberals, the ones who believed in free speech and, and uh, the Constitution and things like that. This, so is anyway, the that, this is the state of my life, by the way. Please continue. Yes. So I had this political awakening and realized that, you know, the party that I thought I belonged to was radical. And um, they've become only more so since then. I'm talking about over the last maybe not even 20 years, but they've become even more so. They're, they're completely far left. And um, progressivism, I mean, as my boss, David Horowitz, often says, progressivism is just rebranded communism. It's, you know, they're radical leftists, as David Horowitz himself used to be, so he knows them full well. Um, so it's a far left party. And, uh, you know, they're totalitarians at heart. They're not classical liberals, which is why their first response to uh, political opponents is to try to imprison them. <laughs> you know, they, they have double standards of justice, as we all know now. And so the, the document case that you mentioned of for which Biden will not be prosecuted, but which they would love to imprison Trump over. It's, it's an example of that, that double standard. Um, they want to put their political opponents in prison or silence them because they, uh, their, their aim is a one-party state and absolute power. Well, Mark, you know, I, uh, I, I think well, the, the question I have for you is, and this comes up a lot, what, what is it? Is it in our? Are we ill-educated? What is it, Mark? Where where a lot of Americans cannot see that that this? Let's be fair. This isn't even the Democratic Party of Bill Clinton. Okay, Bill Clinton was open about his admiration for Ronald Reagan. Um, he was uh, he he worked on welfare with Newt Gingrich. You wouldn't even imagine this today. And, and I don't understand, Mark, why so many Americans do not get what you just described. What is the hard left? They, they don't really get it. And I think Dennis Prager pointed out the other day, you know, if, if liberals really thought about it, they probably have a lot more in, in common with conservatives or classical liberals, as you point out, um, than they do with the leftists that they vote for, thinking that they're Democrats. So my question is, what are we ill-educated? Why is it that we had we can't so many Americans can't see this this leftist virus? I think we're definitely less educated today than we have been in past decades, and that's partly by design. Uh, less educated about a lot of things, but civics and politics, especially. Um, and uh, excuse me, well, oh, got this frog in my throat. No problem. Um, so I think we're definitely less educated, and that's part of it. And we're also very, we've become very polarized. I can tell you from my personal experience as a Democrat that even when I did not consider myself political and and did not uh, consider myself radical, it was unthinkable to me that I would have anything in common with the right. Um, it just did not enter into my consciousness that, that there could be <laughs> any kind of middle ground. And I'm sure that that's even worse today for a lot of, of, of people who are the Democrat Party or who consider themselves liberal. And uh, the far left, of course, they would rather shoot themselves in the head than ever admit that they had anything in common with the right. So a lot of Democrats are just, they, they are just kind of trained 
to think of them sorry they're trained to think of the right as being knuckle dragging racists uh as being um uh, basically evil people who are greedy and hate the poor and hate people of color and that kind of a thing, because that's what you get. That's what you're surrounded by when you live in this left-wing bubble. Uh, even as an average Democrat, if, if your friends are Democrats, you just kind of absorb that impression about the right. And you, you assume that you couldn't possibly have anything in common with, with this lower order, you know, the, the deplorables that constitute half the country or more. Uh, you just you just don't think that it's possible. It, it, it takes a, a, it takes either an open mind or something to open your mind, um, in order to be able to realize that it, we have more in common than we than we think, or that the average liberal, quote unquote liberal, uh, has much more in common with conservatism than he or she thinks. Um, I mean, for myself, I had this awakening where, as I mentioned before, I did not know any conservatives, at least that I knew of. Uh, it was only when I began meeting some, actually, it was when I moved to Hollywood, bizarrely enough, that I began meeting conservatives, in this the, the sort of underground community of conservatives in Hollywood, and discovering that, lo and behold, these people were not the knuckle-dragging racists that I had been uh, conditioned to believe that they were. They were intelligent, good-hearted people, um, and decent human beings that were smart and they understood more about politics than I did. Uh, I had to meet people like that to begin to realize that that I had been wrong, that that I had lived in this community that just kept people like that out of our consciousness and uh, out of our um, circle of friends. So it takes something to wake people up, I think, to that realization that we have more in common than than we think we do. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, the, the term second thoughts conservative uh, is something that you hear about, David. Now, let me, I'll tell you very briefly, because I want to get into other things. I'll tell you briefly about myself. Uh, I was a playwright and an actor, and I was in Chicago over 30 years ago. And I went, to, uh, there were two things that happened. Uh, whack job leftist named Michael Lerner, uh, a Jewish guy, rabbi, uh, and God knows whatever else he's, but he wrote an important book called The Socialism of Fools anti-Semitism hmm. on the left. And it, it was, I give him all the credit. I don't agree with him politically at all, but I give him all the credit in the world because he laid it out, the anti-Semitism of the left. The second thing that happened, because I was so prejudiced toward the knuckle-draggers, Mark, that um, I had to start reading Thomas Sowell. A friend of mine told me, start hmm. reading Thomas Sowell. And as I read, I said, I'm not allowed to agree with this. Wait a minute. <laughs> yes. Uh, affirmative action is is not this wonderful idea that it's actually discrimination that that uh, we we need to have equality. Uh, just a long checklist of things, but you got to understand, I needed a black man to introduce me to conservatism because I was so so prejudiced toward the knuckle draggers, and then you get into people like David Horowitz. It's uh, you know, and it really changed my my mind, and and then and meeting people, but. Uh, let's let's mm -hmm. get into some things that are happening uh, today. Uh, the the first thing I want to well, well let's start here since we talk uh, I, I want to talk about uh, Martin Luther King for a moment. I have a I have a way of looking at things, and and that is that so if the, I can hear the, my one year old screaming in oh, the background. It, Sorry about that. It's <laughs> no problem. Uh, that's that's just the way it is. Um, 
if the, the founders that you tear down today is the Martin Luther King that you tear down tomorrow. That's the way I'm looking at things. Because in my view, Martin Luther King, who was a, an heroic figure, held our founding documents up to us and said, this is not being guaranteed to all of us. And he, to me, he asserted these founding documents and he helped to guarantee them for everyone. This is how I look at it. And now I live in a world where the idea of colorblindness is, is it's unacceptable. Uh, and then there's a new word, equity, which is not the word equality. And of course, we have DEI and all these things. So see, to me, Mark, there's a reason that Martin Luther King's statue is on the National Mall. You have to be a very special individual to have ended up on the mall, okay? You're there with the founders. So you're basically a founder, or to me, someone who guaranteed our founding, even if it was almost 200 years later. So my observation is, the Washington and Jefferson and everybody that you're tearing down, all the founders you're tearing down now, you will, if it's not today, this morning, you you will be tearing down Martin Luther King if you not already are. Uh, and they are already are. Uh, I mean, Martin Luther King would be considered by his own, by people of, uh, you know, by other many other blacks today, he would be considered racist because he called for colorblindness. You know, he wanted the, the content of his children's character to be more important in this country than the color of their skin. And that is the complete opposite of where we are today in terms of race relations, because the whole critical race theory movement, the whole, it's, it's all, it all stems from cultural Marxism, but the, <clears throat> all the cultural Marxism that, are, that has infected our country over the last several decades has resulted in turning, rolling back the advances of the previous civil rights movement uh, to the point now where, uh, as I said, Martin Luther King would be considered a racist for calling for colorblindness because these days you have to affirm everyone's identity, their uh, racial and gender identity, or you are in denial or a racist or misogynist or homophobe or any of the other various uh, epithets. But it's, it's tragic that Martin Luther King would, today would be considered a bad guy uh, for calling for colorblindness. I mean, th that just shows the degree to which we are embracing this, or many of us anyway, <clears throat> are embracing this division um, and embracing these racial resentments uh, as a way to sort of aggrandize power, ultimately, political power. And it's it's tragic for uh, individuals. It's tragic for our country. And you mentioned the word equity <clears throat> and how it's not the same as equality, which is absolutely true. And the left never talks about equality anymore. You don't hear that. <laughs> you don't, uh, you know, it's not diversity, equality, and inclusion. It's equity. And I think uh, a lot of people don't recognize what equity is. Uh, it is literally defined by the left as present discrimination to atone for past discrimination. That's what equity is. It's literal discrimination against the people that are considered part of the oppressor class, meaning people like me, middle-aged, white, uh, straight males. Um, we are the oppressor class, and we owe, uh, we owe equality. <clears throat> well, not just equality, but we owe more. We we owe it to the the groups that we have oppressed supposedly for so long 
we uh, owe it to them to step down from our positions of power and turn that power over to the formerly oppressed groups. And that's what equity is. It's it's putting us, it's putting, it's not putting everyone on the same level. It's putting uh, whites and other members of the oppressed class at the back of the bus, if not actually kicking them off the bus altogether. So we're, we're in a terrible situation today, America, in terms of this kind of, uh, of where we are in terms of um, racial resentment and uh, the push for equity and all of this stuff. It's, it's going to be very difficult to overcome because it's really infected whole generations now of young people who see the world this way. This is their worldview. Uh, you know, they have this neo-Marxist worldview that there are oppressed classes and there is an oppressed oppressor class and that everything is seen through that distorting lens. And that's a difficult worldview to overthrow and, and reverse. Well, yes, indeed. And, you know, it, it's interesting, the oppressor versus oppressed uh, is, it's kind of the, um, it's something that, Mark, it flies under the radar for people who really don't understand what cultural Marxism is uh, or and, and that it's having an impact. You know, it's almost like, yeah. Mark, it's almost like people know, they know something's wrong, but they can't put their finger on it. I can put my finger on it, uh, and, and I'll put my finger on it this way. I pray to God a mainstream Democratic Party would come back. I pray to God someone would understand that yeah. JFK is not welcome in that party anymore. I, I pray that people understand that the 1992 Bill Clinton is not welcome in that party anymore. Love him or hate him. He's not. He's, he's just not. And, and, and this is the pill, this, this, this flying under the radar pill that, that people are, are, they're not getting. And like I said, I, I think I'll be long dead and buried by the time people get it. Um, let's, let's zero in on, a, on an issue. And by the way, I want to recommend anyone who is listening to my voice right now, go listen to Mark's conversation with Larry Elder. Uh, it's a recent podcast. Uh, I love Larry. I've met him a number of times uh, through David. And, um, you know, you really need to listen to that. But let's let's move on to something. There was a um, there was a British child who was very ill. I think her name was Indy. Is, is that right? Nicknamed Indy. And, and, oh, and yeah. you yeah. spoke about this recently about Britain's nat national health care having a role in the end of her existence, despite the protestations of uh, the, the Italian prime minister. Uh, and and I, I want to talk about what this means, because before I let you, you dive into this, I think what, what you're about to describe, I think people who are even pro-choice to a degree need to understand, and I think they would be very opposed to what you're about to describe. Can you tell me the story of this British child? Uh, yeah, I wish I could pull up the details right uh, off the top of my head. But um, yeah, there was a child, and I, a very young child. I can't remember the age now, but <clears throat> uh, facing a fatal illness and uh, in England. And uh, there was, an, as I recall, there's an experimental procedure or some kind of uh, medical procedure that was available in Italy. If I remember, there were some Italian doctors who who wanted to, you know, offer this uh, this option to the family, and the parents were all for it. Of course, I mean, you you will do anything to save your child's life. Of course, so they they wanted to to, to follow through with this, 
And the British government literally would not allow it. They would not allow this couple to take their child to Italy um, for this experimental procedure. And um, even even the Italian prime minister, as you mentioned, got into this, uh, got into the the issue here and said, uh, you know, we will welcome this com- this this couple and their child. We'll, you know, just let us deal with it. Uh, and the British government would not let them go. And the child passed away. So, I mean, this is a very disturbing degree of state power, which is where we are headed and where a lot of the Western world is, is headed. And the Western world apart from America, has a head start on us in this sense, only because we have the Constitution standing in the way, um, because we still value freedom of speech and things like that here. But but we have a far-left party in this country that would like to tear those uh, restrictions away and make us just like another European country. They want state control over everything. That's what totalitarian is. totalitarianism is, is state control over everything that you do say and even think. Uh, it's just unconscionable. I mean, I think the average person would look at this situation and say, it's unbelievable that the government would not allow this couple to take their child out of the country to try to save its life. I mean, why? it's unthinkable. The average person would think this is just crazy. Um, and they would be right. but. You've got this government mindset that, uh, you know, this, this uh, how should I put it? Uh, th- there's a, this totalitarian mindset that puts all power in the state and that also um, takes away parental rights. And, you know, that parental rights is a big issue in America today. We're facing that because the people on the left want to deny parental rights. And in Canada, it's the same way. There's this viral video going around of this uh, Canadian uh, official saying there are no parental rights in Canada. There are only parental responsibilities. Children have rights. Uh, so what they're getting at there is that is that the state is trying to remove, the state here and elsewhere in the Western world are trying to uh, destroy parental rights. They're trying to eradicate the rights of parents over their children because the state wants control of your children. Um, That's what this is all about in America. That's what the controversy in Florida is about, you know, uh, uh, um, pornographic books being introduced into school libraries. All of that is a way for the left to take control of your children, to drive a wedge between parents and their children in this country. And that's a long-standing communist aim, is to break apart the nuclear family, um, to eradicate the very uh, categories of mother and father, and to uh, make uh, uh, children basically uh, the responsibility of the state to raise. That way you maintain power permanently. Uh, and so that I'm kind of rambling now, but that's basically what's at the heart of that controversy about the child being allowed to die in England. Um, it's what's at the heart of the parental rights issue in the United States and in Canada, elsewhere. It's about the left trying to drive a wedge between parents and their children and take control of their children from as early an age as possible. You know, uh, 
that leftist indoctrination that began in colleges across the country um, decades ago has now filtered down to pre-K. It's not, you know, a lot of people used to say, oh, if you send your kids to college now, they'll come back leftist radicals. No, college, no, it starts long before that now. It starts as early as pre-K now, where they begin indoctrinating kids who don't even have a consciousness about these things, begin indoctrinating them into a, a sexual awareness and a gender awareness and all this. So they, they try to get them as early as possible before their brains develop any kind of critical thinking skills. That's how uh, you know cults work. That's how brainwashers well, work. You know, it's interesting. So, yes, you look like... No, you. it's interesting the wide berth that we've somehow... that we There's the sheep has given, the sheep's clothing has given the wolf a very wide berth. And when you talk about that, um, look, listen, anybody, the oh, to me, anybody over the age of 18 who has some gender dysphoria, God bless you. I hope you are happy. Do whatever you need to be happy. I don't care. I've worked with transsexual actresses. I, I don't care. But when you talk, and you talk yeah. about the taking the parents' uh, rights away, what the hell is going on with this teaching gender fluidity to seven, you know, DeSantis wanted them not to teach gender fluidity to seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds, and they're calling them a homophobe. Mm -hmm. There's people who want to give puberty blockers right. to 11-year-olds. There's all these cases of people where uh, the school isn't going to tell the parents that the, the child is going to change their gender. Like, like this is like nothing. But this has come on. It, it's very quick, Mark. The virus encroaches very quickly. Yeah. And again, it's one of these things. People scratch their heads like, what the hell happened? This isn't even the same world five years ago, 10 years ago. So it's very fast. Right. You know what I mean? Yes. Well, it's it's like that old Hemingway quote. Uh, there was a character in a Hemingway novel who was asked how he went bankrupt. And, he said, and his answer was, slowly at first and then quickly. And that's that's been the process of leftist indoctrination in this country is that it began many decades, you know, well over half a century ago. I mean, you could trace cultural Marxism all the way back to the 30s and 40s, but it didn't really begin to uh, gather some steam until maybe the 60s, even late 60s, maybe. Uh, but like you said, five or 10 years ago, the world looked completely different. And that's because they have ramped things up. They reached a point where... Uh, everything that they had been indoctrinating us about uh, could just be accelerated. And that's what's happening now is, is this, they're making this push, especially now that they have the political power. I mean, they've had the cultural power for decades uh, and now they have the political power. They've got a far left administration in office, even more far left than Barack Obama's was. Um, and although, you know, one could argue that Barack Obama is still pulling the the strings of puppet President Biden today, but in any case, this this administration is more openly radical than Barack Obama's, and it's because they're just accelerating. They've got the power, and they know they can. Uh, they know now that they can make a big push, and it, it is causing some pushback. It's creating a lot of awareness among some conservatives. Uh, that, hey, you know, things are really bad now. I didn't realize it was this crazy. Uh, you know, if anything positive could be said about the pandemic, for example, it's that it woke up a lot of parents to what was being taught in schools. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, so I think a lot of conservatives are f having their eyes open now that uh, 
question is, is it too little too late? Well, absolutely. And, and, and it's, it's funny because once we, they, we got a glimpse of what was going on in the schools, you know, it's been an interesting response from, uh, from this Biden administration to, uh, to suggest that the parents who show up at a school board meeting for, for their own schools uh, are, uh, are, are white supremacists and they're, they're potential terrorists. Domestic this is insanity. So, yeah. so you know, you've got – now, we won't get into it today because I want to wrap up, but look, you, you've, got, you've got half of America's young people uh, siding with Hamas. You, you've got, you've yes. got uh, people think that 11-year-olds should get puberty blockers. You, you have this long, long chain of events. You have a pandemic that unleashed a lot of authoritarianism. Is Mark? Are there anything? Is there anything that could happen? Forget about Trump for a minute. Is there anything that can happen within the Democratic Party, or with a third party emergence, or something that would pull, or that would shed the light on how far left uh, this has all gotten? Do you think that this party can be redeemed, or do you think that this is just a long avalanche that's just going to get worse? I do think it can be redeemed, actually. I'm a realist in the, to the extent that I think it's going to be a long uphill battle because, as I mentioned earlier, the left controls the culture now. Uh, you know, they control the entertainment world. They control the news media. They control academia all the way down, you know, to the lowest possible grades, not just universities anymore. And that's, that's a big ocean liner to try to turn around. But I think we have begun the process, and I think there are a lot of people in the middle, uh, people who previously would have considered themselves liberals like I did and you did, um, who are beginning to wake up a little bit. So I, I do think there's hope, and there are some conservatives now who are showing us the way to being active, uh, being politically political activists in the cultural arena, which we were previously just incompetent at, but you look at someone like Chris Rufo, the act, the uh, right-wing activist, and how he's working with um, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis to roll back some of this cultural indoctrination and um, cultural hegemony of the left. So I think they're, they're pointing the way toward rolling this back. And I think that, uh, so I, I think we can reverse the tide but also, I think that um, you know there are a lot of liberals and people in the middle and independents who are waking up slowly to some of this crazy radicalism. Whether that radicalism can be completely rooted out of the Democrat Party, uh, I don't know. Um, I so I I don't know whether it will ultimately take the party imploding or how it will change. But I'm optimistic that we can do it, but realistic that it's going to be a long, hard fight, and the conservatives really need to understand what's going on. They need to understand how the left thinks and how they operate. And uh, also, there's another level of this which which I want to throw out there, which is we're also in the midst of spiritual warfare. I think if you look at a lot of what's going on in this country, there is a whole level, whether you are, you know, I. I I don't know how you can look at what's going on in the country and not see that there is some kind of a a depth of evil out there that is beyond this world that that's otherworldly, uh, however you want to view it. Or, but I, I think we're in spiritual warfare too, and I think that people need to recognize that and 
shore up their own spirituality um, and uh, uh, shore up their their uh, communities of faith and begin to look at things in that respect too, because we are in a true battle of good and evil in the world today. Um, and uh, so it's going to be an uphill fight, but I believe that good will prevail ultimately. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and you know, it's interesting. Um, I'm reminded of like uh, what Adam Carolla always says, I, I'd rather live, and he's like an atheist, but he's like, look, I'd rather live in a neighborhood of religious folks than live in a neighborhood full of atheists. You know what I mean? Because it's the, yeah. you know, it's the, 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 the spiritual folks or the more religious folks, they understand they cannot, they can't yeah. perfect the world. So at the end of the day, that's yes. in the end of the day, they're not, you know what I mean? They're not going to try to run the world. And, and, you yes. know, look, you're, you're living in a situation where we have Ayatollahs killing our boys now. Okay. Now I, I dozens and dozens of attacks from Iran and, um, you know, the left just no, they're no good at good and evil. They just no such animal as good and evil. They'll give money to Iran. They'll send aid to Israel. They, they got no concept of any kind of good and evil. And, you know, it's interesting when the, when the, when October 7th happened, you know, I, I, I send a lot of stuff to my Jewish friends because it's, it's, I've never seen a people like my people who need a wake up call. Like it's utterly unbelievable. So I, I sent the, you know, oh, I'm so conflicted. I said, what, what are you conflicted? Nazis or America, pick up, which one do you want to win? Which one do you want? So, you know, Israel or Hamas, make a, pick a side, for God's sake. Just pick a side. Can you do it? Good, evil, pick a side. And and the left can't do that, Mark. And, and you know, it, America, you've seen what secularism has done to Europe. They can't make any moral distinctions. They see someone like the Italian prime minister come along. They call them a right-wing kook. Uh, if someone in Argentina comes along in South America, he says, oh, we have free market reforms. Country's got like 140% inflation. He wants a free market for, he's a right-wing coup. Everybody in Europe is a right-wing coup. They have no concept of any kind of good versus evil. But in America, and I'm not a particularly religious guy, but I am a spiritual guy. Um, you know, so, and I got one of these here, so you know what side I'm on. But, uh, but, but, you know, the, the the America's spiritual backbone is going to have to save it. David suggested on this yes. podcast, he says, you know, Josh, uh, maybe it's the Latinos who have to save America. And, you know, they're 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 you know, they're more prone toward being spiritual people. But look, they're in they I say they Latinos are in our for lack of a better term. Latinos are in our military. They work. They believe mm -hmm. in family. They're more likely to go to church. Um, you know, they might have to yeah. save the country, you know, because, but it's, it's the sp people of a more spiritual bent. There's something about America. There's something about America that makes it, many things make it exceptional. One of which is that you, natural mm -hmm. rights, that you have rights that were given to you by God and no government can give them to you. No government can take them away. Which, by the way, doubles back to our Martin Luther yeah. King point because he stood up for natural rights. Um, so, you, mm -hmm. Mark, I think you're right. I think that America's spiritual backbone may be what saves the country ultimately. And it's not a, it's not a, you know, it's gonna... not, it's not something. It's not like a moral majority thing, Mark. It's a, a spiritual thing. Do you follow me? No. 
Yes, absolutely. And and I think you nailed it when you said that um, you know religious people recognize that we're fallen, sinful human beings, that we cannot socially engineer a utopia on earth, uh, that all of those kinds of efforts are doomed to failure. And that's that's the, our, the difference between conservative, one of the big differences between conservatives and um, progressives is that progressives have this utopian mindset where they think we can, if we just destroy everything that's failed now, we can build utopia on top of that. You know, we can perfect it. We can create a society without racism and without crime and without inequality. We can, you know, we can perfect the world ourselves. And that's, you know, that leads straight not to utopia, but to dystopia. I mean, you, you cannot uh, socially engineer utopia without very quickly having to resort to coercion and totalitarianism. And then, of course, everything goes straight downhill. So people of faith recognize it. Having faith gives you the humility to understand that those kinds of efforts are going to be are going to doom you. Uh, so that's that's a good start right there toward, uh, you know. Uh, steering us away from the disaster that we're headed toward. Mark Tapson, everybody go to frontpagemag.com on a regular basis and check out whatever Mark is doing. And, you know, I've always loved Front Page and I I love David and and, uh, I I applaud your work, Mark. You're very brave and uh, congratulations on getting the hell out of, congratulations on getting the hell out of California. Um, Larry Elder wants to save it. I'll, uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, thank you so much for appearing on The Crusher today, and let's do it again sometime. Oh, thanks for having me, Josh. It was a pleasure and an honor. Thank you, Mark.